Are you tired of putting yourself last? Of taking care of everybody else's needs and powering through to meet the next set of impossible standards? In our fast-paced society, we lose touch with our intrinsic worth, with the ability to value ourselves for who we are right now. Instead of living life exhausted, frustrated, and disconnected from your authentic self, maybe it's time to put yourself back in the life you've worked so hard to create. Join radio host and life choreographer Laura Cheadle and learn how to build your dreams and live your sparkle using the five steps of flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and as you know, if you have been a listener of my show for any period of time, I focus on how I can help you build your dreams and live your sparkle, which really means create the kind of life and the kind of world that you want. Now, as part of that, I bring on some pretty incredible guests in a wide variety of, you know, who teach a wide variety of modalities to help you build your dreams and live your sparkle. Now, today's guest I had on, oh my goodness, a couple of years ago when she first launched her book. And I am bringing her back on today because the power of her work is so transformative. Today's guest is Mary Shores, and she's the author of Conscious Communications, a step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind, your choices, and your life. So talk about transformation. Mary and her work and her book are all going to be able to help you make some changes in your life today. After she talks a little bit about her work, and you can learn more about that, we will go through the five steps of flaunt, find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth, and we will get her take on those five steps and see how they apply to her life. So welcome to the show, Mary. Hey, it's so great to see you and chat with you again. Oh, it's been a long time. It's so great to have you here. I just have to say, when I first met you and I first read your book and learned about your work, even though I was already in that kind of positive psychology space, the way that you described things really helped me take it to the next level. Mm. And I was hoping you could kind of give our listeners today an overview of what it means to have conscious communication and the power of words so they can do that and have that experience for themselves. Yeah, I would love to. You know, the thing is that um, I'll just start with a little bit of backstory. Like what I would really love to know with, for your listeners to know about me and to understand is that to get to where I am today, I really went through a very tough hero's journey in life. I was out on my own at 16. By the time I was negative or by the time I was 19, I was um, already had had a child who passed away at the age of 18 months from severe brain damage. After she passed away, I went through some like 
rock bottom moments and then bounced back through just, you know, sheer youth and resilience to start a business that eventually turned into a seven figure business. But the, the journey along the way was really the bits and pieces of where I learned about transformation. And like with the with the power of words, it's such a deeper thing because our words are often a manifestation of some things that are deeply, deeply held, um, held within our, our subconscious reality that goes through layers of how it turns around, turns around, turns around, and then it spits out with perhaps like some of the words that, that we say. And we don't realize that the power and the impact of, of those, that the spoken word and how it um, affects our day-to-day -day energetically, that it's attracting like a magnet. If our words are like magnets bringing to us whatever it is that we are calling forth. Now, what I find fascinating about this is because, you know, there's a different, you know, we have circumstances that can be quite stressful in our lives. And I'm not suggesting that we don't that we don't talk about those circumstances or that we don't process those circumstances, but that we need to be very careful of how we are projecting extra negativity onto those circumstances. So like, for example, I'm going through a, a situation right now in my life that's been, that has, that has been so disruptive and stressful. And even I have to be reminded. So my brother contacted me and he said, you know, there's the pain that you experience when you're going through the actual event. Like when you're actually walking through it and you're taking the steps through the event, but then there's all the pain that you experience when you're not actually physically in the environment of the event, but your mind space is in it and you're thinking about it and you're talking about it. And that is recreating that pain moment to moment to moment to moment. And he's so accurate. So like I even have to be just so cognizant about that. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, as you were talking, I was thinking I've got a background in German journalism and I was thinking about the term spin. We can take a story and there's the facts of the story and we can spin it to be a, you know, a catastrophic, horrific, awful event, or we can spin it a different way. And maybe it's not a great thing, but we can still spin it to be more positive than it is. And I don't know about you or the listeners, but I would really rather have my stories in my life have a more positive spin and a transformational spin and a growth and development spin than a victimhood spin. It's so true. It's actually brilliant. And I love the metaphor of, you know, the, the spin in journalism, because that's exactly true. You can spin your own story to a place of triumph or to a place of tragedy, depending on how you plant the seed of the outcome. So when you are in, you know, these, these rock bottom moments, you've got the opportunity right then and there to speak your intention of how you want this outcome to turn out. And so if we're drowning in the details of everything that's going wrong, it's like, 
figuring out a way to pause and then stating, you know, like understanding what is the highest and best outcome I could have instead of catastrophizing into the worst possible outcome. And I know like in chapter two, conscious communications, I actually have a little process in there called rewrite your story. And so it gives you the steps of exactly how to do that. And it's so important because the words that you say about yourself will eventually become your identity. You know, that the story, the words you say to yourself about yourself are your, it's how you form your personality, which eventually becomes your actual identity in life. And, you know, now that I'm in my mid forties, you, we can easily create a perception around you that is so built on through all of these like little things or big things and all the things that have happened because our body is like a library and it stores all of the things that has ever happened to us. So every time when we're looking out at our reality, we are looking through the lens of perception of all of these events that we have stored. And there's, there's no other way to do this. And so to unravel all of that, to, to begin to find your way to more peaceful pastures, there's, there's specific practices that you can begin in your life so that you can create, say like an open space to be able to start to create something different and perhaps more positive as your outcome. Right. Right. And you know, you say this on your website and I just kind of wanted to bring it up for the listeners because I think it is so important. First, thank you for sharing your story because you really did have a lot going on and nobody can look at the facts of your past and say, yay, rainbows, unicorns, and sunshines. Of course she can be positive now because everything's always worked out for her. And on your website, you say that you became deliberate about choosing your words, but that sometimes it was too difficult to actually say the words. So you would write them down instead. And then the more that you would write them, then maybe the easier it would be to think them. And then you would start making decisions in alignment with those words and thoughts that you had written down. Mm, Yeah, so true. Because when you're in a painful place, sometimes it can be so difficult even just to speak those words because if they don't feel true to you, it can actually, you know, reinforce the negative neural pathways in your subconscious to keep the, um, so the undesirable going. Right. Right. And so there would be times and there's still times to, in my life to this day, you know, this is just an ongoing journey where when it becomes too painful to, to speak it, then I'll start to write it, you know, write it down, make it happen. And there's just a power in that as well, because it was easier for me to accept what I was writing down than to say it. And it took me about seven months of writing a daily one page of affirmations every single day. And So as you're doing that every day, it is a form of self-hypnosis where you're really training your own brain and your own subconscious to direct yourself in the direction that you want to go. And you know what? And even if you don't want to state affirmations that are maybe too outrageous for you to believe, I would just put down things like something amazing is going to happen today. Or Mm -hmm. I would put down things like what I... Uh, what I need next comes walking through the door. 
I love that. And that's so doable, I think, for all of the listeners out there who might be thinking, yeah, this sounds great, but what would I really write about? You don't know how bad my life is right now. And if you, and I, believe me, honey, I can understand how, how life can get really bad in a moment, right? And if you're in that place, then I encourage you to, to try this one. What I need next comes walking through the door. I love that. That's brilliant. Now, how does this work within yourself, within your words, stating, writing, thinking? How does that impact those around you? Mm. You know, I uh, want I love that question, and I want to go really deep for a moment here. So there is such a ripple effect. There's there's two things I'm just would love to share with you and the listeners. One is. Um, in the 1800s, Karl Marx wrote a theory of alienation, and there was four alienations. And you got to understand, like, this guy wrote this in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And it was um, alienation from nature, alienation from purpose-driven work, alienation from ourselves, and alienations from others. And I think that there is, like, profound deep truth in those alienations that he probably couldn't have predicted would happen 150 years later. He wrote that 150 years ago. And so when I think about the power of conscious communications with respect to these alienations, like the first one, alienation from nature, well, we have been decades of living under these conditioned beliefs that are, that actually go against our own nature. I mean, even down to the fact like our human body was not built to be in front of a computer screen all day. It was not built to have 150 emails to respond to every day. It wasn't built for the kind and the levels of overwhelm that we experience on a day-to-day basis. It takes us against our natural you know, nature built us to have certain rhythms in our body and in our cycles and even, you know, everything, right? It didn't build us to, to, to live the type of structured lives that we have right now today. And so in conscious communications, you know, it goes so much deeper than words, but we have to understand that through like a practice of self-care and I don't mean going to the spa. Okay. I mean, taking space for yourself. I mean, checking in and asking yourself, how well do I feel today on a scale of one to 20 and understanding that the lower that number is, you know, that is your life force energy and you only have so much of it. So when I think about like the power or the the concept of alienation from nature, I don't necessarily think about trees outside. I think about our human nature Hmm. and how we were built to survive. Right. And then like, we have to really reverse engineer layers of conditioned and of things that we were meant to, that we have believed that we are responsible for and start to peel those back. And then that goes right into that second one, alienation from purpose-driven work. Now, what he was thinking about that 150 years ago when he wrote that was very different than what I think we're looking at today because he was concerned about assembly line workers. Uh-huh. Not being able to not being able to be in touch with the final product because they were only doing one little you know part of the assembly line. But in our lives today, so many of us are doing work that is not on our path. 
Yes. Not what we were. Every single one of us was born with a set of skills, gifts, and talents. And but again, because of these conditioned, the layers and layers of conditioned beliefs, we believe we have to be doing something else and not being in our true Dharma or not being in our true path it actually contributes to making us sick because of alienation. Yeah. You know? And so, so I love what you asked because then going into this, like, when we start to reverse the alienation from ourselves and when we start to reconnect, all of these things are combined because when we start to reconnect to ourselves, when we start to re reconnect to our own skills, gifts, and talents, you know, and just find a way to practice that every single day, even if it's not within your job, but just do it in some form in your day, then that brings the reconnection back to others. You know, like we're, we um, have been through so many traumas through, and like I was talking about our body being like a library. So as we start to move through traumas in life and as we start to cover up like our true selves, then we are going to build these energetic walls around us that disconnects us from others. Or, you know, we don't really know who to trust. We can't feel our own to intuition to know that when we feel uneasy around a certain person, that's for a reason. Or when we're thinking about somebody, that's also for a reason. And so there's all of these, um, I just, I just love that. I just love bringing that theory into this modern day, but then asking ourselves, what do we do about it? Like, what is the solution? Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, you know, I've been going through this period of becoming undriven becoming like the search for my own personal search for the undriven. And it means having to let go of a lot of responsibilities in life that aren't serving my greater purpose. You know, the things that I'm spending my time doing because I quote unquote have to, or I have a responsibility or an obligation to, but, but when I really boil down to it, it's not actually on my path. And it's hard to let go of these things. And it's hard to let go of pain from my divorce. It's hard to let go. But, you know, it's like, it's not just things we have to do that we have to let go of, but like our, how much of our, um, I'll give you an example. So I, uh, I have this rental property and this, this rental property that's caused this disruptive um, series of events in my life as of late. Mm-hmm. And I said, so let's just say you have a rental property and, and there's 365 days a year. And on 10 of those days, that rental property is causing you like a level seven stress. Right. But all the other days of the year, it's also causing you a low level stress because there's always the opportunity that something could happen at any moment. (laughs) So even though I, at one point thought a rental property would be a good investment, and this isn't about rental properties, but you all have your you all have your things that are occupying a certain percentage of your brain space that probably can be let go of. So whether that's your ex-husband, whether it's a grudge you have against a friend, whether it's your relationship with your mother, your brother, your sister, whether it's that you got fired from a job 10 years ago and you're constantly worried you're going to get fired from today's job. You know, that's what I'm talking about as we start to edge towards the solution. Mm-hmm. And I also really wanted to jump onto something that you said a little bit earlier, that it's not 
It's not that you have to quit your job right now and find purpose-driven work. You can do it in different areas of your life. You can find that purpose. You can find that connection. You can find those little pieces of joy and you can slowly start, as you said, becoming undriven, become peaceful in increments as you notice, because I know for me, sometimes I get so overburdened with things that I think it's all terrible. And then if I get rid of A, B, and C, suddenly D, E, and F are so much easier to manage. And then it's all good. Absolutely. It's, and, and I think what you said is sm so smart and it needs to be said multiple times because sometimes people do hear that statement and think that it's about being paid for your work. And so I'll give you an example, a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, Michelle, she is an excellent cookie baker and cookie decorator. And she just decided to start baking cookies and decorating them all the time. That that's part of her purpose to do this. And so she was making these cookies and she was just giving them away. And, and she was taking, she was making these beautiful pictures. I mean, the artwork she can put on this cookie, I just don't even know how she can do it with the colors and the designs and mandalas and, you know, all different kinds of things. And so she just started putting pictures of them on Facebook. Well, and then it was really interesting because like the last time I talked to her, I said, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I'm baking cookies for a wedding. Oh, wow. So if you invest in your skills, gifts, and talents, even if you're just doing it for yourself, only yes. good will come of that. Yes. Yes. You know, what's interesting about that too. This is so random. Yesterday I, I was working from home all day, really stressed out not in contact with people. I had alienation from nature, from people, from everything. The doorbell rang and I was irritated. Who is ringing my doorbell? Who is stirring up my dogs? Oh my gosh. I go to the door. There's a young woman with a backpack and a clipboard. And I thought, oh, I don't <laughs> want to deal with this. But I opened the door because I just did. And I stepped outside she was collecting money for um, a rape awareness program, but her presence was so grounding, wow. peaceful. And she and I ended up talking for like 10 minutes and she made my day. Mm. And she shifted that whole energy of, oh, I've got all this stuff to do and it's not working. She shifted it just by volunteer going door to door to solicit money for a rape prevention place. You know, mm -hmm. so, yeah, so similar to the cookie things, I think her gift was really getting out there, her gift of communicating and connecting with people and being present. She shared her gift. I don't think she was getting paid for that. It doesn't matter if she did or not. That wasn't her work, but this good is going to come back to her in some manner, I know it is because she was powerful. And what you needed next came walking through your door, literally. 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 <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's just so much of it too is the awareness of, wow, this, this was good. And just blessing it and saying, thank you. That was a great shift in my day. And for your friends baking these incredible cookies, thank you. Somebody noticed them and hired her for her services for their wedding. That's glorious. Mm -hmm. It so is. And it's how it works. 
Yeah, it really is. And, you know, doing things that we love is kind of the perfect segue to the next section of the show, where I want to go through the five steps of flaunt and learn a little bit about you personally and see how your work applies to the five steps of flaunt and just have you share all of your glorious insight. The first step of flaunt is find your fetish. And you know, you were talking about your friend who's kind of fetish was to bake these incredible cookies. Now, what about you? Because your work is definitely a source of joy for you. But is it your fetish? And was it your fetish all along? And what are some of the joys and passions in your life right now, Mary? Hmm. I would say my my fetish is definitely my full-on spiritual awakening that is happening not only with myself, but also with my 18-year-old son. And there is this poem that I absolutely love. It's a I think his name is Shel Silverstein. And it said, yeah. um, she had blue skin. So did he, he kept his hid. And so did she, they searched the world. They searched for blue their whole life through and walked right past and never knew. And so when I think about this thing about your fetish, it's like, what if you stepped fully into your fetish into that blue skin? And so for me right now, my, my blue skin is just my full on spiritual awakening that has blossomed into mystical experiences and led me to travel all around the world and to meet people and be involved in things that I never could have imagined that I would be involved in just by letting that awakening lead. Wow. Thank you. That's beautiful. I love that blue skin. Thank was, you. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then I was also curious because I know in your past, you started a collection agency, which seems to be kind of a negative thing, but you used this whole conscious thought to make it into something positive. How did you learn about this conscious communication and the power of positive words? How did you learn about that? And was it the fetish and the passion of that that kind of carried you through to transforming your business? How, how did that look for you? You know, I, I can honestly tell you that I truly believe now that it is actually the purpose I came into this world to, to do, that there's a deep healing that needs to happen with respect to debt and how we speak about debt and how we feel about debt, that there's such a shame and unworthiness that swirls around even the concept of debt. And I talk to so many people who tell, who tell me that they've completely healed me of that or healed them. I've healed them. So whether, whether it's that they regret having a large student loan or, you know, whatever it is, you know, whether it's bad debt, good debt, we just feel so uncomfortable talking about money. And the reason I came to it was because I was trying to run this business. I was trying to, you know, I was trying to do good in the world and I needed to be in an environment that was not so intensely charged with, um, very heated yelling, screaming conversations. You know, people would call our office and they would threaten us 
oftentimes even with guns, lawsuits, everything that you can imagine because they were projecting all of their shame and fear about that debt onto us. And also the industry at large is just ripe for a negative stigma. And so I made a decision a long time ago. I just looked at the phone one day and I said, I just want the next person to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, little could I have known that that was the moment that was going to change the entire rest of my life. Because when I let happiness be the North star, instead of collecting the money, I just started to sort of download from the universe, the steps on how to do that. And it's become so much deeper. So like, for example, what I have learned about the, the chemical makeup of compassion. Okay. Because our, all of our, our, all of our emotions are a chemical response of like the, the ratio of dopamine, serotonin, oxy, uh, serotonin, oxytocin, vasopressin, cortisol, adrenaline. You know, we have we have hundreds and hundreds of different hormones and chemicals surging through our body at any given time. And it spreads throughout because of our nervous system. And the thing is that when someone practices conscious communication for a number of days and then weeks and then months and then years, because it is putting compassion first, what is happening is even in my staff, I've noticed this and I just verified it with a neurologist over the weekend that because they are daily pumping extra, um, extra compassionate hormones such as vasopressin and oxytocin every single day that eventually over days, weeks, months, years, they actually themselves become a more compassionate person. And I have witnessed it with my own eyes, but see, because it's required for them to do that because everyone who works here is required to use the strategy of conscious communications. But what I didn't expect after, because I thought we were healing the consumers. What right. I didn't expect is that we were actually also, re, we were healing ourselves. Yeah. We were healing ourselves. And I have staff that has gotten off all of their medications. I have people who've just radically changed their lives. And it's all because of putting this into a practice. I love that. And whether it's at work or with your family, yeah. How powerful to know that you can heal not only yourself, but everybody else around you. You know, and in the education system, like what the ripple effect of this has gotten so, so huge. We had a, we had a social worker reach out to us that did it with her. She was a social worker working in an inner city school of, and her population was at risk, at risk youth. Okay. Right. So at, in, in March, her students were only passing at an 8% rate. Um, which is very low, obviously Wow! in three months at the end of that semester, which is the end of May, they were at a 96% passing rate and it That's was, significant. All, yes, it's very, and you know what the ripple effect of that is she changed those children's lives and they, they were changed. She was changed and she is like the power of this, the ripple effect is just so enormous. And it's all because going back to that alienation, you know, when we reconnect with others, when we, when we use the power of empathy, compassion, vulnerability, and authenticity to, to understand the true power of human connection, we can change so much in our world today. 
Oh, absolutely. And you know, the connection piece kind of flows right into that next step for the uh, five steps of flaunt, the laugh out loud. That connection of joy with others, the connection of growth with others, the connection of humor and witnessing other people on a journey and being able to be like, ah, that was hysterical and look at me. And that's that connection and that banter and that back and forth. And I think that is so enormously powerful. And I'm just curious for you personally and professionally, what does laughter look like? How does laughter show up in your world? Well, I love it when I can laugh at myself. You know, when I can look at something that I thought was this like big negative thing and sort of make fun of it a little bit, you know, take the, take the intensity out by lightening, lightening the mood. You know, everything is either gravity versus levity. So gravity, meaning what weighs you down and and laughter to me is levity. It lifts you up. And so what I would like, one of my favorite things is if, if things are really bad, like watch a comedy. Take 90 minutes to escape from life, laugh, because just as I was talking about with the compassion chemicals and all of that, laughter, as we know, has the ability to change the gene expression in our D in, in our DNA, meaning that it literally has the power to make us well, because dwelling in negativity 24-7 will make you sick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what do you think are the similarities and the differences between compassion and laughter? Because I I do see an overlap there. Well, I would say one similarity is that neither one is negative Mm. or neither one is like low on the emotional frequency scale. Yes. Okay. So they're both levity. They're both going to lift you up. When you, when you um, supply compassion and empathy to another person, you're lifting them up and you're lifting yourself up. And the same is true for laughter. So I think that would be a, a, a pretty good correlation between the two. Yeah, I agree. And then everything that you said about debt and our preconceived notion in this country at this time on debt, I 100% agree with. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of lack of discussion around it. And it does, it's really my belief, as you know, from my work with Flaunt, the more we cover things, the more shame builds up, the more fear builds up. And I really believe we need to expose everything and bring it to the light to raise everybody's vibration. In your work and with talking about debt and collecting and making people feel better, Is there room for laughter in a conversation around debt? And if so, how could that look? Yeah, it it makes me think of two things. Because first, like, I think we can laugh at it. Like in the same way we would laugh at a Monopoly game. But your next step Mm -hmm. being acceptance, I think is super important when it comes to money. So like if we think about when I was growing up, and you, maybe you were like this too, I love to play Monopoly. Yeah. And now my, my teenage son loves to play Monopoly and he has his friends over and they have Monopoly parties. But here's the thing. There's only one way to win the game of Monopoly. Do you remember what it is? It's to own those two top properties. Well, that's a strategy. How do oh, you? That's true. Yeah. And I don't know. You have to bankrupt all your friends. I know. Like, think about that, right? Oh my gosh. That's the only way to win. You have to bankrupt all your friends. Now, if you think about business in the 80s and the 90s, dog eat dog world, remember those days, right? Like, let's laugh at that and say, 
what about collaboration? What about working together? What about building something together and laugh at those old ways of, uh, you know, how did we ever think that bankrupting our friends was the way to get ahead at life? But it's so there, right? Wow. I had never thought about it like that. That's so simple, but so horrible. It's kind of funny, right? Yes, it is. Like, why would we ever like, and we all played the game. Oh, we did. And we were all like, yay. That is hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we have to, going back to flaunt, accept unconditionally that that's the way it was and that we as a society are at a higher vibration now. Mm. Like you're talking about your spiritual growth and awakening. Many people across the planet are doing that, but we're still struggling. There's still some political conflict. There's still, you know, healthcare costs that are way up there. There's a lot of people with a lot of debt. What are some ways that you could recommend listeners to accept unconditionally where they're at and to look for that next beautiful thing to walk through their door. What are some tips to help them? I think that we, um, well, when I say we, I really mean me a lot of times. Um, (laughs) It's like my journey is projected out into the, into the entire universe. I think that it's super important. I think I saw in a movie once and it was like, look for the helpers. Look to the helpers. So like Marianne Williamson is, is just incredible, right? Yeah, and yeah. we get ourselves so wrapped up into the controversies that we're not putting energy towards the solutions. And so I would, I would look at the, to me, and this is like what my spiritual awakening has shown me is that we are not going to perish it's impossible to perish because love is so much more powerful than hate and fear. In fact, only love is real. And so the light is much more powerful than the dark. You can't be in a dark room the moment you turn the light on. Okay. And so when we keep ourselves in the dark, you know, so that accepting, like accepting that we will not perish, accepting that no matter what, this world is going to survive and thrive in 25 years. Our reality is going to be unrecognizable to us as it is in today's moment. And if that sounds like an outrageous, like psychic prediction, I don't mean it to be okay. We can look at the last the world today is unrecognizable to it, to the way it was in Karl Marx. Yes. I think he was probably in a horse and buggy. He couldn't have imagined a car, a plane, high rise buildings, metal everywhere, the internet, email, websites, apps on a phone. Could you have imagined in 1865, a cell phone? No. So in 150 years, life is absolutely unrecognizable to it, to the way it was in the day of Karl Marx, right? In 25 years, because of the way that technology is exponentially moving forward, 25 years from now, it's going to be unrecognizable for us today. And I have to say that there's an enlightenment that is coming into this new generation. Generation Z, like the millennial generation is, is very much a, an adjustment period. And then the Gen Z, like, my children and then the new children being born after that, they are not standing for it. I mean, if you've listened to anything from, uh, I think her name is Greta Thornburg, 
Um, she is like this 16 year old activist. She's on the autism spectrum and she is addressing world leaders about what we're doing to our environment. So you know what? These younger kids, they're being born with the empowerment to, to do everything this world needs to adjust ourselves to this new paradigm that's going to happen. And so, you know, I just think that if we just look at the last 150 years, we know that the next 25 years is going to be unrecognizable. I mean, it's really unrecognizable even just since the 80s. Oh, yeah. That, as you were saying that, that's what I was thinking. In high school, my biggest, I graduated in 87, but my biggest dream was like, oh my gosh, they're putting phones in cars, you know, and there would be the movie and the big phone handle in the corner. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't at that time as a teenager even have the awareness of smartphones and the internet that would have blown my mind and that wasn't that wasn't that long ago that wasn't, no, wasn't. years ago Mm-mm, mm-mm. And it's so, it's so fun. Cause even if you see like, occasionally I'll watch a movie that's from like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and the, just like, you can like the, the plot might be so relevant and it's a great movie, but you can totally tell by like what kind of phone they have. Yes. That, you know, like if it's a flip phone or if it's like one of those old Motorola's where you have to pull the antenna out or God forbid a bag phone. Right. <laughs> right. That's so funny. I like that you mentioned all of that too, because one of the things that I have always tried to keep in the forefront of my mind is if you look back through history, the beliefs that those people held are more often than not wrong. Whether that was in terms of healthcare and leeching, you know, and bleeding people and, you know, all of these things that were at the forefront of technology mostly were wrong. Mm-hmm. People believed the world was, were, you know, was flat until they learned elsewise. People believed the bleeding people would bleed the disease out of the blood until they learned better. And I try to keep that in the forefront of my mind as we're saying chemo is the way to go. In 10 years, we're going to look back on that and say, good heavens, do you believe we were doing that? <laughs> We totally, we totally will. And as we, as we're learning more and more about the way that our cellular function actually works and the way that our genetics and our epigenetics work and the power of thought and how it interacts with, um, the health of our cells, we're so close. We're, we're, we're so close to figuring out things in healthcare that will literally change everything. And we won't, we won't be as dependent on traditional medical care as we are now today. Right. Which I love. Yeah. Now, you had said something and I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it, that we are, we, the collective, we are oftentimes not good at putting our energy towards the solutions. We get too tangled up in the problems. And that leads to that next step about navigating the negative because I agree with you. Once we start focusing on the solutions, it starts rolling. Mm-hmm. Everything gets better. But we do, you know, we are designed to focus on the negative because it's a survival technique. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can train our brains to do it, but it's difficult sometimes. Yeah. yeah. What do you do to help navigate the negative? And what tips can you give the listeners to help them navigate negative? Because negativity does show up, whether it's from other people or situations. 
Absolutely. And you know what? And I am so not the poster child for the positive psychology movement because what we need is the ability to process our lives when it hits the fan. Because let's face it, I don't care how positive you are there's going to be bumps in the road as well as, you know, there are some modalities that are taking it so far that we're actually making people feel guilty that they have somehow manifested a negative situation in their life or that it's energetically their fault or like, Oh, well I can't be around that low vibe person because I'm high vibe. Okay. Like this is just a form of crazy talk to be honest. And so I think it's very important that we have strategies to navigate the negative. Uh, One that I had just tried the other day was when I could not get this negative thought loop out of my mind, I said to myself, okay, I can't stop thinking this negative thought. So I need to like ask my brain a question and I'm going on a meditation retreat with my 18 year old son. And I said, I'm going to make a list right now of 10 things that I know my son is going to love about Monroe, which is the place we're going. And as soon as I did that, I started thinking, you know, he's going to love the food. He's going to love, um, he's, he's going to love the, the rooms, the way the rooms are. He's going to, he's going to love Penny, the, the teacher, the trainer there. He's going to love her. He's going to love the big giant crystal, you know, and I just went through like list after list after list. And then I thought, Hmm, you know, I've had some pretty interesting dreams lately. I wonder what it would be like if I could make, if somebody was a movie producer, what kind of movies could they make just by watching my dreams? And so <laughs> I literally decided to force change my thought by asking my brain to giving my brain something else to think about that was kind of nonsensical, right? It's nonsensical to think, okay, Mary, if I were to make your dreams into movies, what would the plot be? You know, but, but it worked. That's the important thing. It canceled the negative spiral of the, the thought that I could not escape in that moment. Um, And I'll give you one more because it's super easy. Matthew Lieberman did a study about this, but if you actually write down a list of what's troubling you, your brain will immediately create dopamine and serotonin. You will have some happiness hits because our brain is structured to like list making. We actually were just wired that way. And so it's kind of a brain hack or a biohack, whatever you want to call it. But if you are in a place where you're drowning from some circumstances that feel uncontrollable in your life, mm-hmm. write a list of them. Okay. Just write a list of all the bad juju going around and your brain will reward you with some copious amounts of dopamine, which is like a, that's like the, the short-term happiness hormone and some serotonin, which is the long-term happiness hormone. I love that. I have to share with that knowledge too. I recently interviewed Robin Spiesman who wrote the book, um, Loving Out Loud. And her tip was to write a to love list instead of a to do list. Every morning she wakes up and she writes a list of 10 things to love, people, places, food, whatever. And coupling that with what you said about our brain loving list, can you imagine the hits we're going to get if we're writing a to love list every day? I love it. And I write, I write a list of 10 ideas every day. So that's like my, one of my daily practices right now. So very similar. Oh, I love that ideas. Wow. That's amazing. So that kind of puts us then into the next thing, going into your ideas, which is the trusting in your truth. Ideas seem to be kind of your truth, who you are. You're on this spiritual journey. You are helping people feel better. Your goal for business conversations is for people to leave 
and be happier. And you were saying earlier that this book, this work really is your truth. What else is there about the truth of Mary Shores? Hmm. I would say that, you know, the, the, the truth is that nothing really matters that much, right? That, that nothing really matters as much as I give it weight to. Okay. So if, 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 you know, all of these things that are, that are happening in my life, if I can just remember that this is a finite situation, our lives are finite, our circumstances are finite, that the truth is that one way or another, good, bad, ugly, happy, perfect, life-changing, it's, it's going to end. It is finite. And so I do this little 10, 10, 10 thing. Like, what is this going to mean in 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years? And Mm -hmm. I can say, you know, in 10 weeks, I'll probably be over it. In 10 months, I will be completely moved on. And in 10 years, I hope to look back and laugh at it. Yeah, I like that. And what a way to distinguish what is important and what is not important. And, you know, even when, even when it is, detrimental to the point of like, let's just say something terrible, terrible, terrible. Like for example, um, maybe a parent has Alzheimer's, you know, even, even that the truth is, is finite. It is. And, 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 you know, we believe that death is the most terrible thing when we lose a loved one, a pet, and I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but our, our religious beliefs have led us to a place of deep fear over death. It's actually, there are five human fears and death. And actually the number one human fear is poverty. Um, and one of the other human fears is death. And so because we, because of the religious beliefs that we have been born into, we don't look at death as a passing to another dimension or to another experience. We, we have these really bizarro beliefs that it's an end. And I, I personally don't believe that. And so that's also my truth. And it helps me to understand that I don't have to take this life so seriously. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that is also very similar to the money talk. You know, like I said, I'm big into let's reveal it. Let's reveal it all. We're afraid of death. We're confused about death. Let's talk about it. I had a friend recently who is a death doula and she said, oh, it's amazing. But she said, talking about death doesn't make it happen faster. And I laughed because I thought it's so true. We don't want to talk about death because we're afraid it's going to happen. We don't want to talk about money and debt because we're afraid about that. And we don't want to talk about sex, yet sex and procreation are like the thing that drives humans. It's a biological function. And those are three areas, among others, that we can't talk about, but we all have and we all will experience. I love this concept that your friend is a death doula. I hope you interview her someday because there's so much that can be learned. And even like taking the concepts out of the ancient Tibetan book of the dead and the Egyptian book of the dead, which was a guide to the afterlife, you know, the, the guide to the dimensions and to the afterlife. And their beliefs were that the spirit would hang around the body for, and I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on to 
to Tibetan Book of the Dead, but just that the spirit would hang around the body for, for a certain time period. And the people would say the chance around the body to guide the spirit through the afterlife and into going into the other dimensions. And so imagine in our culture, the fear we have around death and the medications that we're putting people on, how is that doling their experience when they are passing through that bridge to the next, to the next time piece. And I think that, um, death doulas are very important. And I bet you that we see some pretty fascinating books coming out of people because I know that they can sense, um, the spirits around and just all the shared death experiences. And when people start talking to like, you know, passed away relatives or whatever. I mean, oh my gosh, that would be a good movie. Yes, it would be. It absolutely would be. Yeah. Because (laughs) like that, yeah, spoiler alert, we are all going to die and spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's talk about it and let's do it right. So well what else, Mary, about you do you want to reveal to my audience today? Hmm. You know, like I, I think that what I've been saying all along is that I'm a work in progress, that I too just have my problems and I don't, you know, sometimes I look at social media where people are, are making their lives out to be like, oh, I'm living this dream life and you can just live this dream life too. If you just buy my program and I think that let's just not buy into that. Let's realize that every person has greatness within themselves. You know, no matter what you've done in the past, um, this concept of karma is one that's really interesting to me where we, again, we have this like weirdo belief system that karma is like a, what goes around comes around and oh, you're going to get yours and she's going to get his. Right. Even speaking on that to someone is, is a bad omen that you're actually speaking on to yourself. But I heard this talk the other day from Sadhguru that said, karma is like throwing pebbles into the pond. And so everything you do, like this interview that we're doing right now, we're throwing a pebble into the pond. And that bad thing you did five years ago, that threw a pebble into a pond too. Or that, you know, thing you feel guilty about, that was a pebble into the pond. But every moment that you spend, reuminate, what's that word? Ruminating. Ruminating on that thing that you did five years ago that you feel guilty about, the thing that you haven't let go of. It's like you're throwing that new pebble into that pond every day. And so if you just think about what good, what good pebbles am I going to throw into this pond today? And then you look at the lake and you see the ripples and how the ripples all meld together and they combine to make beautiful other ripples. That's really the way karma works. Wow. I love that. I love the visual. I love That makes so much sense to me. Thank you for that. And also just thank you for sharing your humanity with the audience today. I I loved your response to that question that you're a work in progress. You are on a spiritual journey right now. You have done some amazing things. You've hit rock bottom. You've bounced back up. You are human too. And just like my audience, you've done great things and they can do great things. And you've had bad thought loops and they can have bad thought loops. And in 10 days or 10 years or 10 whatever, it's all good. So let's just enjoy the moment and be where we're at. Mm, Beautiful. 
Yeah. So listeners, if you'd like to get in touch with Mary, she's got some amazing things going on. And her website is Mary Shores, S-H-O-R-E-S dot com. And Mary, you've also got a retreat coming up. I'd love you to give the information on that before we close out. Oh, I love it. If any of your listeners are interested, I'm doing a fabulous retreat at Rhythmia Life Advancement Center. It's in Costa Rica. It's an absolutely breathtaking um, resort and facility. It's um, all the meals are included. It's all farm to table meals, daily yoga. You even get a spa package that includes things like three colonics during the week, as well as a massage. And they have, um, they have like mud baths and just the most with the volcanic ash because Costa Rica is all about the volcanoes, you know, but you can put this um, volcanic ash all over you. It's an incredible experience. And I'm doing a retreat there that week that is called New Year, New You. So it's January 5th through the 12th. And we are going to reflect on the previous year. We're going to, I'm going to teach some things about patterning for 2020. And as an added bonus, I just found out they're also going to have this like international animal communicator there that week as well. So that'd be super fun. Wow. That sounds amazing. And can they find out more information on your website? No, I'll make sure that it's up on the website and it's also just rhythmia.com. And you can also, if you check out my social media, I've got tons of information about it as well. Perfect. I'm so excited. Costa Rica sounds amazing. It's been, it's been, you know, I'll tell you what, I went to Rhythmia in March for the first time and it was the single most transformational week of my entire life. Wow. Okay. That says something. Hence your spiritual journey here. Absolutely. And you know, um, I, I'm just thrilled to be invited, invited back there and to be able to just be a part of their journey. They also teach like while you're there at Rhythmia, they teach this Michael Beth Beckwith program called the answer is you. So there's, you know, it's kind of the coolest vacation ever because you're in, you're combining a resort experience with daily personal development. And so if you're on a path, you know, whether you're a personal development seeker or a spiritual seeker, I can't think of anything better. And the people that you meet there are just on another level. Wow. Okay. Maybe I need to make some extra travel plans for myself this year. <laughs> thank I would you love that. you to be there. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me, to share your wisdom, your journey, your experiences, and just to play and have an exciting afternoon. My pleasure. And listeners, reach out to me if you can't get a hold of Mary, if you're driving, and lauracheadle.com. I will put her information up on the show page. Have a fantastic, conscious week where you communicate with integrity and intention. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release self-judgment, reveal your naked self-worth, and re-choreograph a life filled with joy. Flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more at lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com. 